At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. All right, it's good to be here this morning. Thanks for coming out. And for those that are joining online, we want to welcome you as well. You know, God is... uh, God is at work here at Woodside, and I'm so thankful that I've been a part of the Woodside family for almost five years now, and in that time, I've had the opportunity to get to know your pastor. Pastor John has an amazing heart for the Word of God, and you are blessed. You are, and I know you know that already. You're like, yeah, I know. Many of you are like, I wish he was here instead of you, but that's okay. But that's okay. Um, You know, I I love John and, and, and Anna and the family, and I know that they love you too very much. And so it is honored to serve with him and uh, with our communities being so close. You know, it's, it's great. I know that there are several throughout the years that have come to our campus from the Royal Oak campus and some from the Warren campus that have come to, to Royal Oak as well. And it's just a joy to be a part of the family of God in Metro Detroit, being able to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. So, um, yeah. So I get the opportunity this morning uh, to dive into God's word with you. So if you have a Bible, I would love for you to take it out and turn with me to Psalm chapter 32. Psalm 32. Uh, We are deep in the midst of the series, and actually we're tying up the series this morning, Habits, as we're taking a look at the things in which we do that produce godliness in our lives. All right, back in 2015, it was the fall of 2015, and it was a season of my life where um, six months from then, I was getting ready to turn 40. Yeah, I'm an old guy now. It's like crazy. So 40, I was getting ready to turn 40, and it was in a season of my life where I'm like contemplating, hey, God, what's, what's the next thing that you have for me? What's, what's the next season of my life going to look like? And, you know, just in this time of, of, of thinking about what's new, I wanted to stretch myself, and I wanted to, to find a way of doing something that I'd never done before. And so the fall of 2015, I decided that I was going to sign up uh, and register for an Ironman triathlon. Now, some of you know what that is. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And that's okay. So an Ironman triathlon uh, is all in one day, you begin with a 2.4-mile swim. Then as soon as you get out of the water, you get on a bike, and you ride 112 miles. And then after that, you get off the bike, put on your running shoes, and you run a marathon, which is 26.2 miles. So in one day, you travel by yourself 140.3 miles. That was, I was ambitious. I'm like, let's do it. I'd been a runner my whole life, and this has been something that I always wanted to do. And so from 2015 till uh, October of 2016, my life was drastically changed. I started out trying to, to run and, and swim and bike and, and doing a little bit every single day. And, and it began, and I started out with like three to five hours of training. And by the end, I was doing 20 to 30 hours of training a week. It had totally consumed my life, but in order to prepare for this daunting challenge that was before me, I had to begin to adapt and take on different types of habits. So to to accomplish the the task of completing an Ironman, it impacted the way that I ate, it impacted the way that I slept, and it impacted even my daily activities because there were times in which I had to say no to certain things so that I could get my training in. And over the course of time, I learned how to ride, I learned better how to run, and I learned how to swim. And in October of 2016, I completed my Ironman. I competed and completed the Ironman, and I'll never, t- I, I'll never forget the day that I, I crossed the finish line. And this is something they do in, in Ironman, is when you become an Ironman, there's an announcer on the big uh, radio PA system as you cross the line. He says something like this. He says, Jeff Keith, you are an Ironman. 
And I remember like crossing the line. And actually I did, I asked my kids, I'm like, hey, what should I do when I cross the finish line? They're like, hey, why don't you hop like a frog? (laughs) So I did. (laughs) And it hurt. It hurt really bad. But I did it anyway. So I crossed the finish line. They're like, Jeff Keith, you are an Iron Man. And I'm like, oh, I did it. I've accomplished this big task. And, you know, as, I, as I've thought about that, you know, and as I'm living my life now, you know, there's another time that I know I'm in training now for another time. Right now we're living in a time where we're training to the point of when we are finished with the race on this life, when we stand before our Heavenly Father and we hear another saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? Is that our goal? That's our goal, right? We, we all desire, if we're in Christ and we've been walking with Christ for any amount of time in our life, our goal is to stand before our Heavenly Father and for Him to look at us with pleasingness in His eyes and to say, well done, well done. Well, how do we get there? Right? Just as, as uh, to accomplish a physical task of completing an Ironman takes different habits and takes training, we too must train ourselves in godliness, There are certain activities in our lives, if we give ourselves over to them, they will naturally produce godliness. But there are also things that we can do in our lives that don't produce godliness. And here's the crazy thing about it. Just like nobody drifts into being an Iron Man, nobody drifts into being godly. We naturally will not become godly. The more and more we let ourselves go, we're naturally going to drift into worldliness. That's just the fact. No one drifts to be more like Jesus, but we want to be more like Jesus and we want to be more like our heavenly father. It takes developing specific behaviors and specific things that we do that will create in us and produce in us godliness. That's the whole idea behind this habit series is over the course of this summer. We know that there are so many habits that we can do, but in this series, we're only focusing in on three. And I think that this, this summer gives us a unique opportunity because every time we enter into a new season, it gives us an opportunity to think through some of our behaviors and think through some things. And the summer is beautiful because we have more time on our hands because the sun stays out later. And, you know, this is a good time for us to think about, am I growing in godliness? Am I on a trajectory that's leading me to be more like Jesus or am I living a trajectory that's leaving me more like the world? And so today, I want to share with you one more of those habits that I believe is so foundational to the Christian life. It's actually the habit that allows us to get into the Christian life, and then it's a habit we must continue on as we walk towards the Lord. Today, we're going to take a look at the often overlooked habit of confession. See, I believe that confession is so foundational to our faith because it's something that we so quickly want to overlook. If we neglect this gift of confession, what we will find ourselves doing is drifting from our relationship with the Lord. We'll find distance between us and the Lord, and it also impacts our earthly relationships with other people. Because the more sin that uh, we endure in our life and the more unforgiveness that we experience, it makes us jaded and it makes us angry. And sometimes it even turns our attention away from God and turns our attention onto the things of this world. And so we become to be cold against God and we become cold against the forgiveness that he wants to give us. I think confession is so vital for Christians to practice 
because it goes against our human nature. Everything within confession goes against our human nature. Right, our human nature says that when we sin, the way that we're supposed to respond is the same way that Adam and Eve responded when they were in the garden. Remember back in the garden after they sinned, what did the Bible says? The Bible says they, their eyes were open, they were able to see, they were naked, they felt shame, and they hid themselves from God. Right, that's what we do. Naturally, when we realize that we've missed the mark, we know that there's a God of the universe, we know that we're accountable to him, and we know that we can't measure up to his standards. So instead of running to him, what we naturally want to do is we want to run away from him, and we want to rebel more and more and more against him. And all that does is it increases guilt, and it increases shame, and we have nothing, no way to deal with that. And I'm so thankful that God has given us this gift of confession because what confession does is it brings us back to the foot of our Father and allows us to air all of our dirty laundry before him and then receive forgiveness. Here's the truth about God's character. God is loving, and God desires and wants to give you himself, but he also wants to give you forgiveness. God is not stingy, and confession opens up the door for forgiveness to take place. Forgiveness, provi- or forgiveness then provides us with freedom. So let me give you a definition of confession, of biblical confession. Confession is acknowledging and addressing our sin before God. So we acknowledge and we address, we bring our sin to God, and we seek his mercy and his grace to heal us. In confession, we agree with God that we have stepped outside of his design. We've looked at the way God has has set up the boundaries in our lives, and we agree that we've stepped outside of it. So the big idea today, when we come to this passage, what we're going to see is that when we uncover our sin in confession, God covers our sin with forgiveness. Let me say that again. When we uncover our sin in confession, God covers our sin with forgiveness. Today, I want us to see the power of forgiveness, and I want to invite you into the opportunity that you have to make this a part of your spiritual habits as a part of your regular life. So let me show you the beauty and the power of confession by looking through the words of King David. Let me give you a little bit of context here. We know this is written by David because we look in the, the, the part before verse one, it says, this is a mascal of David. This is David, the king of Israel. This is the man after God's own heart who God took from the, the fields as being a shepherd and now has exalted him to being king over all of Israel. David's in a prominent place where he's leading God's people. And we see that the context of this specific passage, many scholars believe that King David writes Psalm 32 after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan over his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. And what we see in this passage is he's dealing with the the weight of his sin and the blessedness of forgiveness. He's showing us how those two things are, are naturally a part of the human existence, that it is possible to experience the blessedness of forgiveness uh, even in the deepness and the sense of our sin. So today, as we look at this passage, I want us to see three truths about confession, three ways in which confession breathes life into our very souls. The first thing that we're going to see is that confession separates us from the oppression of covered sin. Covering sin always brings oppression, but confession separates us from that oppression. Look with me in verse 1. David writes, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So David begins talking about the blessedness that he's experienced from forgiveness. There can be no greater thing than to receive and to experience forgiveness. It's as though the the slate has been wiped clean in our lives. Right? All the things that we've ever done, they, they go by the wayside, and it's as though they never happen. So David's saying, blessed is the man who's forgiven. Happy and fulfilled with joy and free to live is the one whose sins are no longer counted against him. There's a blessedness in forgiveness that David experienced. But David also experienced the curse of sin. He describes sin here as a heavy weight that it haunts him and that it buries him and the, the sin weighs down his soul. And when we become aware of our sin, we experience and we realize that we're out of sync with God and we're out of sync with others. David here is talking about his, and describing his own capacity for sin and even his ability to follow this downward spiral of sin. David in this passage uses, one, uses three different words to describe sin. Sometimes we use these words uh, interchangeably, but I think David is being very specific here because he wants us to see the gravity of sin and how there is this downward spiral. First, he talks about the word sin. He says, to sin, forgive me of my sin. Sin simply is to miss the mark. It's to do the opposite of what is right. And you can unwillingly know, um, unwillingly sin if you don't know. Like, for example, there was one time when I was driving at night and my instrument panel, the light in the instrument panel had gone out. And so I had no idea how fast I was going. I was just trying to keep up with the cars in front of me. I could see the speed limit signs as I'm driving down the road, but I didn't, uh, couldn't tell which way I was going. And so to my surprise, I was surprised when I see cop lights turn on from behind me and pull me over. I had no idea how fast I was going. And that's the first question the officer came to the door and asked me, do you know how fast you're going? I'm like, I have no idea how fast I was going. That didn't bode well. (laughs) But I got a ticket. And I got a ticket because I was going so fast that I was past the mark of like, just get a ticket, pay for it, move on. I had to go to court. Right? And so in that moment, I, I just sinned. Right? I was doing wrong, even though I really wasn't aware of it. Right? So to simply to sin is to go outside the bounds of, of that. So David's talking about sin in that way. But then he says there's another layer of sin, and that's known as a transgression or a trespass. Now, what makes a transgression or a trespass different than just a sin? I mean, I say just a sin. Sin is condemnable, all of that. But to trespass or to transgress is to know the boundaries and to willfully cross them, right? To, to know the difference between right and wrong and then willfully choose to say, I am going to go against that. That's a trespass. And then third is an iniquity. Iniquity is the deepest way of betrayal. It's the deepest set of rebellion. Because iniquity is premeditated, it's a premeditated choice to sin without repentance. 
It's to know God's design, to know the boundaries that God has placed within us, but it's to go further, to be unrepentant in our sin and to do vile things that even defame God himself. And so David is saying, like, God deals with all of that. Doesn't matter how vile your sin is. Doesn't matter how how simple your sin is. God has the capacity to forgive all that. And if we know anything about David's life, we we can see this downward spiral of sin in his life. It begins in 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you turn there and read through this uh, later on today, you'll see that David began with a sin. Scripture tells us that it was the time of year when kings go off to war. David sent Joab, right? So God clearly had already set out the standards. He, he had said, you're, this is the time of year where you're supposed to follow me and be obedient by going off to war. Well, David just decided one day, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not going out to war this time. So instead, he sent Joab. Oh, that David would have just stopped there, saw the error of his way, and confessed God's forgiveness would have come swiftly. But instead, we read on in the story. And we find out that now that David has all this free time, what does he do? One night, he goes to the top of his palace, and he's, he's overlooking all of the houses, looking over all the city. He looks down and sees Bathsheba bathing. Again, that's not necessarily a sin, but it's how he chose to respond to that. We see that we're told from Scripture that he called to her and had her come to the palace, and he lay with her. David trespassed. David was involved in a transgression because David knew God's laws, knew the Ten Commandments, the the one that says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, David knew the boundaries and willfully chose to step over that and do evil in the sight of the Lord. Doesn't stop there. Oh, that it would have. Oh, that David would have just stopped and said, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me for what I've done. But come to find out later that Bathsheba is now pregnant and Bathsheba is married to a man named Uriah. And so what does David do? Instead of coming clean, he seeks to cover it up again. And so he orders that Uriah move to the front of the lines of the battles, knowing that he will surely die. And Uriah dies. And David, for a moment, thinks everything's okay. That he's gotten away with it, that no one will ever know. But he's forgotten that God knows. And we see here that when David... In verse 3, David refuses to acknowledge his sin before the Lord. In his silence, the weight of his sin begins to build. He says, in my silence, I felt as though my bones were wasting away, that his groans were so deep. He felt his sin. He felt his rebellion, and he knew that he was living against God's design, and this conviction continued to grow, and he felt dry like the summer heat. All of this imagery describes the handiwork of guilt that God brings into our lives. David, at this point, was not experiencing the blessing, but the curse of sin. And the more he hid, the more guilt mounted. I don't, I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like David, where you just feel like the world is upon your shoulders, where you just feel like there's no grace, where there is no forgiveness, where you're just angry at everybody, where there's every battle line in your life, there is no peace. I'll tell you, peace doesn't come from hiding sin. Peace will never come if you're hiding sin in your marriage. 
Peace will never come if you're hiding sin at your workplace. Peace will never, ever, ever come if you're hiding sin. But verse 5 shows us David's pathway to forgiveness. And this is a beautiful thing. What David says is his pathway to forgiveness begins with him acknowledging that he sinned. He acknowledged that he messed up. He acknowledged the fact that he stepped outside of God's design. So not only did he acknowledge it, the second thing is just that he uncovered it. Not only did he do wrong, but then he pulls back the sheets and he says, this is all that I've done. He brings everything before the Lord. All of his evil thoughts, all of his evil things, all of his misplaced emotions and affections, he brings all of that before the Lord and he confesses his transgressions. He lays it all out there before the Lord and what happens? God forgives him. God forgives him. Like this is the beauty of the, of, of the scriptures and the way that our God works. We do the crime And we bring it before God and he forgives us and he covers it up. I don't know if we we realize this or not. In each one of our lives, from the moment we're given breath, begins this rap sheet of sin. There is a record that God is keeping of all the things that we've ever done. And as we live, that, that rap sheet continues to grow. The times that we lied to our mom, the time that we didn't take out the trash when we said that we would, the time that we had an evil thought, the time that we did that evil thing. And it continues to grow and continues to grow and continues to grow. And we know and we feel it. We can try to deny it. We can try to to, to legalize sin. We can do all of those things in the world, but it doesn't change the fact that we know that there is a God and we are accountable to him and we know in our hearts that we are guilty. We know it. And yet that guilt continues to grow. And throughout time and history, many have tried to cure this guilt in many different ways. One way the world has tried to cure this guilt is through creating religion. Right? We, with this guilt that we have from our sin, we, we create this, this system of religion that's a bunch of rules that say that do this and do that, and somehow this will cure your guilt. But you know what the problem with religion is? is that with all of these rules and all these regulations that religion brings into our life, guess what? It brings more guilt. You know why? Because we can't even live out those rules and regulations. We violate and we rebel against the rules and regulations. And so it just creates more and more and more and more guilt. So religion's not the answer. Some people say that in in some way that, that God has like this cosmic scale out there. That, that everything that we do is, is measured, whether, whether good or bad. And that somehow, if at the end of our lives, if we do more good than we've done bad, then we're okay. Then we'll be right with God. You know the problem with that? How many of you guys are actually keeping the ledger? Right? How many of you, do you have a ledger at home where you say, well, today I did four good things and I did six bad things, so tomorrow I have to do more good than I do bad? Anyone doing that? So then you have no idea. You have no idea if you're good or not. So that's not the way. Probably one of the biggest ways we see today is that people try to overcome this guilt by behavior modification. Right? If I can just do more, if I can just be better, then I will get then I'll be able to deal with all this guilt. This guilt will go away if I can do more and I can be better. The problem with that is again, you can't do more. Again, you can't be better. 
Because even changing your behavior is not changing the fact. It's not absolving you or taking away the sins of your past. It's just making you a better person now. It doesn't deal with that in the past. So this is where having a proper view of God's character comes into play. We need to fully understand that, yes, God is holy and God is just and sin must be punished. We've got to understand that, that this is who the God of the universe is. But we also have to understand that God has a desire to give and forgive us. So the question you should be sitting there with right now is, how is that possible? How is it possible for the God of the universe both to be holy and just and be judgmental of sin and yet at the same time want to give and to forgive us? How is that possible? And I'm going to tell you, it's only possible through Jesus. There's no other way. There's no other way for us to receive forgiveness. And you're like, why do you make such a big deal about Jesus? What's the big deal? I believe in God, but why Jesus? Why Jesus? I'll tell you why Jesus. Because it's impossible for us to save ourselves. It's impossible for us to get forgiveness on our own. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Simply that's it. You sin, you do the crime, you deserve death. That's it. So to pay for sin, something has to die. And if we go, if we in this life die in our trespasses and sins, we go to a place called hell where we will be for eternity. I know that's not popular, but it's in the Bible. That's what God tells us. But God loves us so much. God loves you so much. Even in your trespasses and your sins and all of your iniquity, God loves you so much that he didn't leave you there, but sent Jesus for you. Jesus was a real man who was fully God, fully man, and lived a life on this earth, but he lived it different than you and me. He lived it perfectly. Jesus never gave in to temptation. Jesus never sinned. He always obeyed his mother. He always drove the speed limit. Uh, on a camel, I guess. I don't, I don't know what it's like in, in Nazareth and other places. But he never, ever, ever sinned. But Jesus came not only to live, but Jesus came with the sole purpose to die. Because Jesus was the spotless, sinless sacrifice for all humanity. Now, don't miss this. This is huge. This is life-shattering, earth-changing. For an amazing transaction takes place on the cross. Listen. As Jesus is there hanging on the cross, he is sinless and has done nothing wrong. The Bible tells us all of the sin of the world was placed on him. What that means, everything that you've ever done, any evil thought, any evil deed, all of that, the punishment for that was placed on Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Jesus bore the wrath of God. So it was do you and do me for my rebellion and your rebellion, Jesus paid the penalty. Amen? That's an amazing thing. But it doesn't end there because Jesus died and yet God saw Jesus' sacrifice was enough, so he raised him from the dead. And by Jesus coming to life, he puts to death, death, and sin, and forgiveness can be experienced. Now, here's also the crazy thing. Just because Jesus' work on the cross was effective for everyone in the world that has ever lived, is living now, or ever will live, 
the only people that actually get a chance to experience and express this forgiveness are those that come to Jesus through confession. That's it. Though it's powerful enough, Jesus' work on the cross was powerful enough for all people of all time, only those that receive this forgiveness are the ones that come to Jesus in repentance and confession. See how confession begins the relationship with the God of the universe? When we come to God through Jesus and we say, this is the mess that I've made of my life. All my best efforts, everything that I've tried to do, this is the mess that I've made and I bring it to you. And Jesus, forgive me of my sins and now be the Lord of my life. Take control of my life. When we make that confession, what immediately takes place is all of our sins are wiped away. And we are immediately at peace with God. We have this blessedness of having our sins wiped away and our sins forgiven. How is it possible for God to be holy and just and forgiving at the same time? It comes through Jesus. And the problem with confession that most people have is that confession is humbling. Right? In this world, we're, we're told to, to make much of ourselves, to, to live our lives, to make our big bank accounts bigger, to have this prestigious position, or to live in this neighborhood, or send our kids to this school, like all of those things we live for, when in reality, that's not where we're supposed to go. Because confession is humbling, for in it, it forces us to acknowledge that we are not good It forces us to acknowledge that we are not holy. It forces us to acknowledge that we are not as put together as we want the world to think. But confession puts us in the right place before the God of the universe. Where we come to him and we say, this is the mess that I've made. Would you heal me? And it's in that place where God says, sure, sure. You give me your your rags and I'll make them beautiful. You give me your your messes and I will make them beautiful. Because through confession, it gives God the opportunity to cover our sin through the work of Jesus. The second truth that I want us to see quickly in this passage is that confession secures us in the protection of God. Look at me in verse six. He says, therefore, let anyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the shouts of deliverance. What David is doing here is he's he's appealing to us to pray and confess before the Lord and to do so now. Don't put it off. Don't wait. But instead, when you feel the conviction of, of sin in the world, of our sin in the world, we go to God with our confession through prayer. As soon as we're aware, he says, in fact, this is what the godly do. What the godly do is when they sin, their immediate response is not to run away from God, but to run to God and to say, oh, Lord, help me. In verse 6, David's looking back to a time uh, in which before the flood, right? Before the flood, there was a time in which the the world was full of sin and God was uh, planning on redeeming humanity through Noah, And there was a season in which while the ark was being built and the doors of the ark were open, anyone could come. Anyone could come and to be saved. Anyone could be freed from the flood. But as soon as the doors were shut and the flood waters started coming, time for forgiveness was over. And what David is saying here is there's a time in which everyone will be called to give an account and we don't have time to mess around. So don't put off 
confession. Don't, don't put off coming to God for salvation. Don't put any of that off. But with urgency, we come and we repent every single day of our lives. And then in verse 7, we see the character of God, what God does for us. God gives us the grace of God. He pours on his grace. He gives us a hiding place. He preserves our life from trouble and he delivers us from our sin. God is a, a mighty beast on our behalf, fighting the battle for us, but it comes through confession. Confession, I think, is a lot like windshield wipers. Now, just bear with me just for a moment. You guys know driving in, in the metro Detroit area how vital windshield wipers are, especially in the wintertime, right? And maybe you're not so aware because you always keep up your windshield wipers. Well, there was a time in, in, when we first moved back here in, in 2016 that my car, the windshield wipers were old and they were, they were faded and they weren't working really good. And then my, my windshield washer solvent, it wasn't working either. And so you know when you're driving around in, in Michigan uh, in the wintertime, what begins to build up on the front of your windshield? Salt, right? You're, no matter where you're going, salt's going to build up on your windshield. And what the worst time is that once it begins to build and build and build, you can't see. And I remember driving down I-75 one time, and I turned the corner right there by uh, Big Beaver, and the light or the, the sun was coming up right over the horizon, and it hit that windshield. I couldn't see a thing. Like, I was blinded because it was just like this big white light, and I couldn't tell where I was going. I was trying to do the windshield wipers. Nothing was happening. I was blinded. In much the same way, that's how sin is in our lives. Unconfessed sin is our lives. It may begin, you, you might start going down this path for a little bit, and you're like, oh, yeah, it's a little bit of sin, no big deal. And the next thing you know, you're sinning more, and you're sinning more, and, and finally your, your view is becoming more and more dim. You're like, oh, it's not a problem, it's not a problem. It's not a problem until you turn that corner on I-75, and the light's in your eyes, and you can't see a thing. In that moment, you understand your desperate state. You've lost sight of God, you've lost sight of where you're going, and you're uh, hurling towards certain death. Are you guys following me? We need spiritual windshield wipers in our lives so that they can clear the dust and clear all of the debris so we can see clearly. And you know what? God's given us spiritual windshield wipers. I'm reminded of 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sin." He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a beautiful truth from God's word that we can believe and we can fully experience. If we confess, he is faithful to come and to clear off the windshield of our lives. Now, Here's the thing about all that. You see, when we come to faith in Christ, when we come initially to enter into that relationship with the God of the universe through our confession and belief in Jesus, we become a child of God. That's a reality that can't change and cannot be moved. But what can happen is our relationship with God can feel stressed and distressed. Right, like in, in my own family, I have, I have four daughters, and when my daughter sinned, and when they rebel against my rules or do things on their own way, uh, they don't stop being my children, right? They're always going to be my daughters, no matter what they've done. But their decisions and the things that they do sometimes cause a rift in the relationship. They cause distance in the relationship. 
And so that's why it's important for us to maintain a lifestyle of confession before the Lord, because when we confess to the Lord, what that does is it brings us back into his presence. We feel the closeness. We have his his protection and the forgiveness that he gives us and promises. So how are we to, to confess? We confess our sins through prayer. Right? We simply talk to God. We simply acknowledge the fact, I messed up, I've moved, I've moved, and I've missed the mark. Forgive me. And then God forgives us. Lastly, I want us to see that confession surrounds us in the steadfast love of God. Look with me in verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surround the ones who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So confession surrounds us with the steadfast love of God. David is coming from a place that has, as he has experienced the gracious forgiveness of God for his heinous sins, he's now commending us to walk in the same way. He says, now that you've seen for my example, and if God can forgive me, God can forgive you. Don't be like an ox or a mule or a horse, for they need to be driven around with a bit in their mouth, but instead you have the freedom to know the path back to God and to come to him. Don't wait to be drawn there. And remember, many are the sorrows of the wicked. The wicked aren't experiencing joy and love Instead, they're experiencing dryness in life. There's no relief, no joy. But he says, the one who trusts in the Lord finds and experiences God's steadfast love. God's love is never ending. There's nothing you can do that will go against God's love for you, that it's always there. It is a free gift from God that is based on the sacrificial act of Christ. Confession, then, is an everyday practice that we as Christians should experience. We we enter into a relationship with God through confession, and we maintain our relationship with God or continue to walk in our relationship with God through confession. Now, I want want our time here to be um, meaningful and helpful for you, because I want to leave you with just three things that you can do to practice confession in your life. Three ways in which you can grow and begin to allow this habit that will produce godliness in your life. The first, as you wake in the morning, this is what I encourage you. Pray a simple prayer. God, today, help me to be sensitive to sin. Help me to be sensitive to my sin. Help Ask the Holy Spirit to come in and say, Lord, help me to see when I'm going awry, when my, when my mind's going a place that it shouldn't go, when my heart's going a place when it shouldn't go, and my feet start walking in a way that they shouldn't go. Help me be aware of that. And then what will happen is that the Holy Spirit will convict you. You'll start to feel that. You'll say, ah, oh, I'm out of step here. And immediately when you feel that, first thing we should do is go to confession. God, forgive me for that thought. God, give me for that deed. Second, so Confess in the morning or confess throughout the day. Be sensitive to the Spirit throughout the day. The second thing is make confession a daily practice at, at night as you get ready to go to bed. May your prayer be similar to that of Psalm 139, where David writes again, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So David's praying 
or a prayer that we should pray as we lay our heads in bed. God, search me today. Was there a way, was there a, a, a thought or an attitude that I had that was outside of your design? And then confess it and then receive forgiveness. The third thing that the third way that I practice confession is by allowing the word of God to wash over my life. Allow this to be the rubric that I place over my life because sometimes I don't even know that I'm sinning and sometimes I, I come to the word of God and it highlights maybe an area of pride in my life or maybe a, a, a thought of a way in which I'm going wayward. But when I come to a passage of scripture, I keep with me, a, I call it a confession journal. And it's really a prayer, a prayer time that I have between me and the Lord in Scripture. So what I do is I'll read a Scripture passage, and I'll ask myself three questions. First, the first question is, what can I thank or praise God for? So come to this passage, and if I were reading Psalm 32, I would come to this and I'd say, Lord, what can I thank you or praise you for? Well, I can thank God. I thank you because you are a forgiving God. God, I thank you that you are always forgiving and that you're always willing to forgive Second question, what do I need to confess? Right, this is the big one. Now, taking the word of God that we've just read, what now do I have to confess? And where, where is it in your life that there may be sin, iniquity, or trespass? However, you stepped outside of God's design. And so you take that time, God, today I confess the fact that my, my desires have been for everything but you. God, forgive me for that. I know you love me, but forgive me. And the third thing, and this is what makes the big, biggest difference in all things, because this, again, is not behavior modification. This is gospel living. And what makes gospel living different than behavior modification is this third question. This third question, what do I need the Lord's help to do? See the difference? It's inviting the God of the universe to give you power to obey that which he says you should obey. God doesn't want you to obey in your own strength and power because that's self-righteousness. God wants you to obey in the power that he's given you. So at the end of the day, when you look that you've had this track record of obedience, you look back and you see who you used to be and you see who you are now and you're like, praise you, God, for what you've done. Not praise me, God, for what I've done, but praise you, God, for what you've done. I used to be a drunkard. I used to be a, a luster. I used to be this. I used to be that. But now I'm this because of the grace of God working out in my life. Amen? This is what makes being a Christian different. God doesn't want you to do better or be better. God wants you to come to him and say, Lord, I need your help. And then you surrender to him doing that work inside of you. All right, the habit of confession. May God just allow you to begin to develop that more in your heart and in your life. And I'll tell you, there's nothing better than experiencing and feeling the forgiveness of God. So if you're here today and you've never experienced the forgiveness of God, you've been living your life as a rebel against God, I want to encourage you to come to him simply in prayer and say, Lord, I give you everything. Forgive me of my sin. Or if you're here and you want to know more about how you can trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come talk to me afterwards or, or talk to a friend or someone else that you know here. And I'm sure they would tell you, help you. But for many of us, our response to the word of God today, I'm sure the spirit has been active in this place. And maybe you're here and God has been convicting you. The spirit has been showing you the area of your life where you're out of step. Maybe it's in your thought life. Maybe it's in the actions that you've done. Maybe it's things that you're doing at work 
or maybe some things that are just not, not right in some of your other relationships. I want to encourage you in this time and in this space to begin to walk the steps of confession. Begin today by just laying it bare before the Lord. Lord, these are my thoughts. These are my activ- activities. These are the things that I've done. I confess it to you. I lay it at your throne. But let this time, as we sing this last song together, let it be a time that we begin to walk this path of of confession so that we can experience the forgiveness. Because God wants us to live as fully forgiven followers of him every single day. Like, that's what the world needs to see. Not people that that are living a hypocritical life, but people that are struggling to follow the Lord and trusting in his strength and power and walking in his forgiveness. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your words this morning. And Father, we are reminded this morning from your word that we, inside of each one of us, is an immense capacity for sin. Father, we are born as rebels against your will and rebels against you. There's nothing inside of us that wants to obey Father, we want to make the rules. We want to choose the path that we go. And Father, we know that living like that condemns us before you as a holy God. We also know, Father, there's nothing we can do in ourselves to free us from that. But that it's only through trusting in Jesus that we can be forgiven. So Father, today, if there's someone here in this place that's still struggling May they come to you today, fully surrendering their lives. But also, Father, for those that are here today that are struggling in sin, that are a child of you, but are struggling in sin, Father, I pray today that they would walk the path of confession, that they would begin by making things right between themselves and you. And then if there's confession that needs to be made of others, those that they've harmed or hurt, that that would be the next step. Father, as we sing this song, continue to work and continue to bring us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.